Hello and welcome once again to another episode of our podcast, Teach Me Tech. I am your host, Tarek Falah, also the Vice President of Information Technology and Information Systems for Creative Foam. Um, and as always, you can find us online at www.creativefoam.com, and we are your world-class provider of engineered solutions. Um, I'm really excited about today. Uh, we have probably one of my favorite topics to talk about, and on top of it, we have a phenomenal guest today, um, someone who knows everything there is to know about this topic, who lives, who breathes it, who has been um, dealing with it for a number of years now and who is at a company that um, certainly is very much um, leading the way in terms of this technology and putting it out there and, um, and making advancements. So I'm excited for that. We have excellent guests um, all the time, but today especially we are very, very thrilled and uh, thankful to have that person on our show today. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Today we're talking about um, Internet of Things, IoT, and you may have heard it, you may understand a little bit about it, um, but maybe never really grasp fully what it's about. In a nutshell, Internet of Things is basically um, physical objects that we can see and touch um, being connected to a digital world. So it's a lot of things dealing with sensors, um, controllers, um, a network of computers, um, different kinds of detection devices, uh, whether it's something to detect temperature or motion or pressure or um, audio recording devices or video recording devices to pick up that. All of those kinds of things um, that we could implement to connect physically to our world and then give us information to a digital representation of that. And, and then that's step one. So we gather all of that data, okay? And then step two is we do something with it. So we may proactively um, want to react to something before it happens. Or we may say at a certain point of monitoring or getting a certain level, now we do something. Um, so some very, very, very basic abstract sort of things that you can understand with IoT. Um, if you look at sensors in your home, so if you have um, any sort of thermostat device or if you have um, something that can detect humidity or detect um, smoke or detect water, a lot of those things we're, we're seeing out there today and they're connected to the internet. So they're connected locally to your home, through your home network, but those devices eventually are connected up to the internet. And the important thing with that is no matter where we're at physically, if we're in our home or not, um, we can get information about our home or we can have alerts sent to us or we can do something because of a certain situation. So, for example, if I'm not at my home and my digital thermostat is set to, you know, turn on the AC when the temperature in the house reaches 78, let's say. Um, then it can kick on when it realizes that it's it's met that level and I can say run, you know, until you come back down to 76, for example, or run at all times, turn the fan on and run it longer, whatever kind of events I want to set up. Um, a, lot of, a lot of us are familiar with uh, like baby camera monitors. So we're able to you know, wherever our kids are at, we can see them on our on our telephone or on our tablet or whatever it may be. Um, and we can even detect motion. So if, if someone, you know, if the baby is sleeping in a crib and I've got a camera and, you know, certain amounts of motion, if it moves, if the baby moves enough, I need to get notified and, you know, have something come off to say, hey, you know, the baby might be trying to get out of their crib or whatever it is. There's a lot of applications for this. Um, so those are basic ones that we might see in terms of like a consumer. Uh, but there are a lot of applications in terms of business. So especially in automotive, on the shop floor, we have a lot of machinery. We have a lot of um, things that are moving that are going down assembly line. People are picking things up, moving them around. We can have all kinds of sensors to detect things. We can have sensors to say, um, you know, if this part is 
not the right size or shape or has some sort of defect. So we can, we can see with an, a visual aid, with a camera that can say, normally the part has this sort of shape to it or has this texture or whatever it may be specifically with that part. If I detect an anomaly, then I can flag this and say, hey, this is a problem. Even before a quality inspector gets to that part and needs to do something with it, we can proactively check for that kind of a problem. Um, for the forklifts that are driving around the facilities, we can have all kinds of sensors around that device, letting us know if it's getting too close, if it's getting far away, letting us um, you know, figure out if the traffic flow for this, for this um, forklift is efficient, if it's going places it shouldn't, kind of keep a log of all that kind of information for us. Um, we have all kinds of other things that might detect, um, for example, if, you know, if, if somebody wants to actually have a part come off the line and we want to detect if it has issues with it, we can, again, look visually and inspect it. But we can also do matching in real time to say, you know, this part looks like this normally and it, and it should look like this and it can pinpoint and, and tell us what's wrong with it in real time, track that data. And now here's the critical step. Let us know um, through basically uh, maintenance to say, you know, preventive maintenance. If this part is, is always producing an issue, then maybe it's the tool. So I can also have sensors on my tools to say, hey, you know, the normal temperature for this tool is, for example, I don't know, let's say it operates at 100 degrees um, and it's been consistently operating at 110 degrees. Well, that's indicative that it's it's operating outside of its normal bounds. So there might be a problem there. We need to maybe service that tool sooner than later. So there's a lot of applications for this, um, certainly for Creative Foam and, and many other automotive and just generally uh, manufacturing companies. So interestingly enough, the history of IoT, um, if we look at kind of where it came from and, and what, what brought this all around, IoT came about because of a toaster oven. Um, so if we go back in time, back into about um, 1982, some computer science students in Pittsburgh uh, were monitoring uh, like a beverage vending machine to kind of see... Um, what was happening. So they would they hooked it up to a network and they were able to monitor and get information off of that vending machine. So technically, you know, that was one of the first ways of, of getting um, IoT information. But if we go a little bit farther, so now we're in about 1990. Um, and so we had the first, what we would call the first um, connected home device. So um, two people, two Australian computer scientists um, John Romke and uh, Simon Hackett took a toaster and connected it to the internet. So at that time, we had now launched the internet fully and um, it was being utilized, obviously. Really didn't have websites like we did today, um, but we had an internet, a connected network of machines across the globe. Um, so they took a toaster oven, connected it to the internet, and at that time, they could remotely turn the turn the toaster oven on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. So the toaster oven was technically our first connected device, our first IoT device. Um, and then from there we we got many advances in um, you know in in later on in uh, 2000 I believe we had um, you know a refrigerator from LG announcing that we're going to have smart connected you know, devices. So a refrigerator that is connected over the internet um, and can monitor and send you things and uh, recipes and things like that. And even at that time, that was a little bit crazy to think about. Uh, but by 2008, we actually had more connected IoT devices across the globe than we did people. So if you think in just that short amount of time, from 1990 when we were able to first introduce this, um, this concept of connecting devices to a global network, um, and, you, and you go from there to basically less than 20 years, we suddenly have just a huge burst of IoT devices reaching a threshold of more devices connected across the globe than people. So if you, if you think about that for a second, I mean, it's truly remarkable thinking about how many things we have connected. We have cars, we have toaster ovens, we have coffee machines, we have thermostats, we have important devices, heart monitors, all kinds of things 
that some of them are mundane that we don't even consider. And then some of them are perhaps life-saving things that, you know, we couldn't do without. Um, you know, by 2018, every car in the EU is equipped with what they call the e-call, an emergency call system. So in vehicle sensors, it can detect basically if there's an accident and then automatically make an emergency call. So again, in that short amount of time, we realize the power of this, being able to use it for good to uh, monitor and react to events that we care about. Um, it's, you know, obviously we care about our toast and our coffee, and maybe it's nice to um, program those things and be able to utilize them across the internet. But the amount of life-saving devices that we can have, um, the way we can positively impact a company by introducing sensors of all types, whether it's, um, you know, thermometers or motion or audio or video or whatever it may be, um, it's, it's remarkable. So I'm really excited. Um, I think we all kind of understand hopefully now what IoT is. And we're going to head and have our chat today with a fantastic guest again. I'm really excited to talk with him and uh, explore all of that. We're going to talk a little bit about more than just IoT, perhaps how um, this influx of IoT has changed our world, changed our opportunities for careers, changed how we work, changed how businesses need to think about things, that dynamic of old versus new and how that paradigm shift might be coming around. So uh, really excited. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started with that. All right. Well, welcome everybody to our next segment of our episode. Um, very excited. We have a really awesome guest today that fits in perfectly with um, the topic that we're talking about, which is IoT. We've been discussing that this episode, talking a little bit about uh, what is it, first of all, and then talking about what are the different areas where we might find it, um, things that you didn't even realize where it existed, and then also talking about it from a business versus consumer perspective, which um, there's certainly some differences there. So I want to introduce everyone to Ludovico Fassati from uh, Vodafone. He's the head of IoT there for Vodafone Americas. So welcome, Luca, Ludo. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Tarek. Happy to be here. Great. So... Um, why don't you go ahead, since I'm not a very good storyteller on other people's stories, you tell us about, you know, who you are, some of your accomplishments at uh, Vodafone, certainly, and um, also a little bit about Vodafone uh, for those of us who are really not familiar with it, where we might encounter it, where we might see it. Yes, yeah, so let me start by the second part. So Vodafone. So Vodafone is uh, the, the second largest telecom operator worldwide. We used to own Verizon. Verizon Wireless in the U.S. that I think we sold in 2012. Okay. Uh, that's how we were present in the U.S. Um, but we are uh, among the top three operators in most of the European countries and then in Africa. So we have a very strong presence there. And uh, in the U.S., we take care mostly of enterprises, exclusively of, of enterprises, in particular the big ones, global enterprises that are looking for business uh, across the globe, everywhere. And so we provide uh, services going from mobility, fixed, but in particular IoT, that is our key strength, I would say, uh, for, for American customers, because we are the market leader in IoT since uh, seven years now. Uh, and we have uh, 120 million connections. So, and, and growing, still growing fast. So this is our key strength. Uh, and uh, we're leveraging on it. I think we're doing actually a good job. Back to your first part of your question about me. So I'm originally Italian. Uh, I grew up in Italy. Then I started my career in finance. For a mix of reasons, I ended up becoming the CEO of a telematic company that was doing connected cars. That was then acquired by Vodafone. I ended up into Vodafone and then... Uh, from there, I started in Vodafone in the UK, and then I came to the US three years ago, and I moved to New York with my family, and uh, I proudly lead uh, a fantastic team here in the US. Awesome. awesome. Very good. Um, you know, it's interesting to see the transition that you've made. I think sometimes people assume you're headed down one path and that's it, but you've obviously made that transition there where you started in finance, and now you're in a completely different realm um, of being an IoT. So you know, how did you make that transition? Why did you kind of enter into that domain? Well, I think, you know, I started finance because my, my 
family, cousins, brothers, they're all in finance. So, so that's, that's how okay. it was like a natural uh, decision for me. Then, uh, and I studied finance too, but I then was always very attracted by, by companies, by business. And so uh, we, we ended up investing into one of these companies that were doing technology products. And that's how I fell in love with technology. And so, so that, and then, so things, but I still have uh, a lot to learn on the technology side. Sometimes I ask very stupid questions on how, how things work. Uh, I lately took a class at MIT on artificial intelligence, trying to get some more knowledge in, but I still recognize I have some big gaps. Uh, but I, I'm a big, uh, but I agree with you. I think with the careers that get longer, we work many years. I think we shouldn't be afraid of, taking some strange path sometime. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I think we'll, we'll, we'll end up probably talking a little bit about that because I think there's some interesting points about um, today's market conditions for anyone. Um, and, and, it, and you could look at somebody who's in manufacturing, somebody who's in, who's in business, and the way that we operate today is very different than it used to be. And you have to be open to those kinds of changes. I think we'll talk a little bit about that. Certainly uh, very relevant to how you've made that transition. Um, but so t talk to me a little bit about with Vodafone, specifically with IoT. So obviously you're um, leading that charge for Vodafone. What are the kinds of things where we might, um, where, where Vodafone utilizes that? What, what are the top areas where that could be exposed that we might have noticed that or we would understand it? Yeah, so uh, Vodafone, how, why Vodafone is the leader? So why, why are we the leader? So And the answer to that is, Yes, because we're the best and so on. But, but I think what is important is that we started first. Right. So when in uh, roughly 10 years ago, TomTom uh, Tom and Kindle were the two first products that were launched out there with a SIM card in it, already connected, and you don't have to pay a Kindle phone bill or you didn't have to pay a TomTom, Tom, uh, yeah, let's say telecommunication bill. Sure. It was already embedded into your product. So they are, these two products were the pioneers of, for companies to sell products that had a seller connections, a connection in it. And the, the enterprise would pay for that to us. And they get that device would be connected everywhere it goes. And that opened up doors after that, immediate, uh, immediately after that, there were two big streams. One was the car manufacturers that connect all of their cars uh, again, TomTom, Tom, GPS Navigator got, got embedded into the car, right. pushed car manufacturer to start connecting their cars. And then they realized how much more value they can extract from having a car connected, going from uh, remote maintenance, uh, assistant to the customer, offering services, uh, over-the-air updates, so you don't have like something that looks like from the 90s, but you can update it over-the-air and have it. And look at Tesla now with that massive screen that is beautiful sure, and that is sure. I think they, they can get anything out there uh, pretty soon like your phone gets updates every time and then now it extends into autonomous driving content in the car and so on right so I think this is a good example of, of how things once they got connected then uh, help them into their business to get better service with their customers and also get more information on their products so right. information on, on the car, how it's used, by who, when, in which kind of weather condition, and so they can develop better cars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think this um, is the So, you know, we're talking about uh, a lot of IoT from sort of the, the business perspective of, of why, obviously, because as you mentioned, it really opens up a door, I think, to other opportunities by by having that initial Let's make that connection and, and now look at all the things we can do that you mentioned. Um, I, I guess talk a little bit about, you know, the difference of, of the needs between IoT from a consumer perspective, IoT from a, from a business perspective. When I, when I think about it, um, you know, I think about IoT from a business. What are the things I'm trying to get out of it? And it may be keywords like transparency, efficiency, things like that. For a consumer, uh, it may be things like convenience. So, Talk to me a little bit about how that changes the perspective of IoT from consumer to business. Yeah, so I think it, it's a good question. I think I wouldn't, if you don't mind, I wouldn't look at it that way. I think 
there are businesses where you have uh, so like a kingdom mm -hmm. the consumer at the end is in any case the customer you know what i mean so i think right. amazon together with amazon where they developed a great product we are their partner but at the end it's the consumer at the end that uses this tablet let's call it as they would use a, an iphone right they don't pay for the bill but so it's part of the product itself now, if you look at it on the other side, though, for an enterprise to use IoT is to optimize usually their processes and sure. often to reduce their cost. Imagine a lot of companies today are using IoT to track stuff. And tracking can optimize your warehouse, your logistics. You can know your uh, time to market, your lead time. Uh, you can know if there are frauds happening. So all of that, so all of these things are to optimize the efficiency of a factory or of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an organization. Instead, if you look at the more consumer part of it, is more when the experience of the end user is based on a connected object. So think of a connected fridge. It's not very used yet, but there are examples of connected fridges that can monitor what you have in it when things are expiring automatically can suggest some receipt if you want to cook or automatically order on your Amazon Fresh account, order eggs because eggs are expiring or milk, whatever you need. So all of that, I think the experience of the end user would change and that's more of a consumer experience that would need to change. So these are the two big differences between an enterprise IoT and, and consumer IoT. As Vodafone, we are doing it everywhere. So we have we use IoT to optimize our network, our uh, work office, our people, our security, our safety, everything. We're using IoT everywhere. Right. We are offering IoT to other companies, like I was mentioning Amazon, but I can talk about Ford or any other customer we have that are, that are using our services to connect their own objects. And also, we recently launched what we call consumer IoT. So we're selling some IoT devices into our stores. We developed a watch together with Disney. There is a kid's watch for so for kids. And so they have this watch that they can use to send message back and so on. And then we launch a tracking device called Curve. There is a tracking device. If you want to track your purse or your, you know, your laptop and so on, you put this right. tracking device like a tile from, from, from Apple. But it's, uh, it's made on, on seller connectivity, so you don't need Bluetooth. So we have, and all of those, we're going to sell it into our storage. So we have both, all three plays. IoT to make Vodafone better, IoT to our enterprise customers, and IoT as a product enablement for our Vodafone products. You, you've got every avenue covered. It sounds like yeah. you really have IoT um, clearly as an integral, integral part of what Vodafone is doing, and I think that's fantastic. Um, so, you know, from a business perspective, how should a business really approach talking about IoT? Because I think it's easy um, you know, at our organization, we utilize IoT, obviously, and many organizations do, whether they realize it or not. Um, and it's, I think it's very easy to get lost in buying software and buying hardware and, you know, the buzzwords catching on to IoT and ML and AI and these things. But uh, what's the optimal way for an organization to really get into IoT, deploying it, and then what are the next steps to make sure they're maximizing their ROI appropriately? So, look, first, let me, let me start that. I think if you think about it, IoT is is nothing. Let me put it. Let me explain. So I think it all has to start, in my view, with what you're trying to achieve. Right. So if your organization is trying to optimize a certain process, or is are they trying to connect a product they sell? Are they trying to change their business model? Are they trying to collect data to develop new revenue streams? So this needs to be the purpose of why you're doing this project. Right. Because the project is going to be uh, expensive often it's going to be frustrating tiring so and, and often this project really changed the company so you know if, if you think of you know let's say an insurance company that now collect data on how you drive and offers you driving lessons or offer you a discount if you don't drive during rainy days because it's less risky and stuff so imagine how much change it happens within traditional businesses like insurance companies to change themselves and to address and, and rely on data to take such decisions. And then once you have that, once you have clear in mind what you want to do, 
you need to try to quantify the benefit and the cost. Right. right. At the end, it needs to be, it needs to be profitable. Sure. Profitable sure. means it can be profitable not only about money. It can be you want to do it for, I don't know, security, for safety, for marketing even. You know, it's an investment for you to look cool in the market when maybe it's not profitable for you. Uh, Sometimes now we see more and more projects around uh, trying to use IoT to reduce emissions, uh, CO2 emissions. So we see that a lot coming. So maybe does it make real economic sense to do this? Maybe not. But actually, the reduction of CO2 emission is so huge that if you don't do it, then you're going to look like, you know, you like to pollute the world to try to save a couple of dollars. You know, so, and I, so I think this, so there's different reason why people do it. Uh, and, and we see, and I'll be honest with you and your, your listener, we see as many projects succeed, as many we see failing for different reasons, whether it's, you know, commitment or, you know, uh, not, uh, not very clear what they really wanted to achieve. So I have to admit, in, you, you need to, in my, my advice to all of your listeners and, and yourself is to try to uh, access to experts. So companies that have a proven track record that wouldn't have too much problem in telling you if you're doing something that they may have seen before and didn't work. Uh, yeah, that that's, would be my, my, my two cents. On yeah. The- I think that's a great point. Um, so I, I, both both of your top your top points, which were really making sure that you identify the goal you have in mind, and that's true with everything. I think technology related, it's it's very easy for us to get caught up in um, the latest and greatest, or buying something because it's shiny and new, or from a technology perspective, you know, technology enthusiasts like us you know, we gravitate towards the the next best thing or what's leading edge. But what's critical is to always make sure that you're able to tie uh, the strategic goals of the organization back to whatever it is, technology, then you can use to drive that. And without it, you're just spending money and, and you know, kind of crossing your fingers and hoping you get something out of it. So I, I think that's an excellent point. And also, uh, you know, really making sure that I, what you do has you know, lasting impression upon the world. And so I think having that view of a global perspective and being able to say, you know, we're doing something and there may, it may not be dollars and cents. It may be doing something for the community, for the world at large. And, and that's a great uh, part of this is it's not always about the bottom line. There's a bigger picture there to be uh, mindful of for sure. Yeah. Um, so we've seen IoT in the wild for some time. It's, it's definitely not new. Uh, but with COVID, it's accelerated the, the rate at which it's being adopted and how it's being used. Uh, companies which tried before, they might have failed. Um, why, in your mind, have many companies that have attempted this failed? Or what were the um, obstacles they may have, may have encountered? And conversely, what does it take to be successful with these kinds of digital transformations with using IoT? So I think you, you mentioned uh, two two topics. Uh, one is the COVID one, and then the second one is more related to what uh, why some projects don't succeed. Let me start by the COVID one. So the COVID part, I think we see we saw a, we saw an explosion of projects made of two of made of two uh, bucket. I would say one is COVID related project like social distancing cameras, a thermal camera to check if someone had a, had, a, had a fever, or, you know, vaccine, we are part of a lot of vaccine distribution logistic uh, solution to make sure the temperature stays low mm-hmm. and, and all along the, 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 the distribution of it. So we're part of all this kind of project that I really hope uh, should disappear soon with, it, with, with COVID disappearing. We hope uh, those projects were super necessary and we are super, very glad you worked well and so this project i really hope will be gone and we won't need to have a social distancing camera or or, or temperature cameras everywhere we go so that, that's 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 the first thing however still during the covid period some companies realized that they really need to do an effort to help in a world where you can be far off so imagine smart office like all this new way of working where people work in the office, then they work at home, then they work somewhere else. So all of this is generating a lot of connectivity opportunity so someone can can do their job wherever they are. Or if you think of training, you can think, you know, 
if you think one day we were all going to the gym, now many people train at home. So all these new connected objects that are at home for you to allow you to train at home. Uh, and this applies to a lot of things. I also like to mention a couple of uh, projects we have where we help, uh, let's say, uh, elderly people or, or people with, with disabilities. And we provide them, you know, try to provide them some services uh, where they are, right? They can't go to the hospital every day, even some 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 healthcare issues. So that, that, so that increased. And I think that instead would stay. Some of it would stay, some of it would go, but some of it would stay. I think if we can get people to get uh, medical support at home instead of going to the hospital every day or every week, it's actually beneficial for them. They can do other things. So that's back to the, the COVID part. The, se the, sec the second part of your question, why, why project fail? So I think project fail usually, uh, there are many reasons why project fail, but I think <laughs> I, I would mention two, actually let's say three. So the first one is lack of clarity of what you were looking for. So sometimes we see, you know, uh, I don't want to, of course, I'm not going to mention customer names, but sure, sure. it's a... Uh, a machine manufacturer that says, I'll connect all the machines and, and what are you going to do with it? Oh, then I'm going to get data and I'm going to sell those data. Okay. And, but who? Like, and then at the end, they spend money connecting these machines and the use case is not well thought behind it. They're not ready to make any transformation, the commercial model and so on. And so then the project fails. So that's, I think, not well prepared is the key reason why I think project fail. Right. Second thing I would say is, let me call it people. And that includes a mix of uh, uh, attitude. Uh, and, and this comes from a mix of attitude and, and politics, you know, uh, or organizations. Let's call it the organization or people and organization. I think, you know, you need to have uh, a very open-minded approach. Uh, when you look at this IoT project, be ready to kind of adapt. You you maybe start with an idea and then you land in a completely different one. So you need to have that kind of approach. I, that's why I believe that those hyperscaler like Google, Amazon, Uber, Facebook, they are very good at it because they are so agile in in and adapting to to things, and and that helps them in IoT too a lot. Oh yeah. So, the third one I would say is, uh, let's call it commitment. So I think uh, companies think IoT, I'm going to invest whatever, $10 million, and then this is the, the plan. And then after three months, six months, they don't see the result they expect. Maybe the boss of the project changes. There's new priorities. And then, you know, it's it, it gets kind of forgotten and then there's no drive on it, and then the project just fades away. Even if it was a good project, and some customer really loved it, it just fades away, and it's just a dead project, and they move on to something else. So again, I would say these are the three things I would say that are important. So clarity of objective, people and organization, and commitment. To if, if, you, if you know it's a good idea and it's going to work, don't give up. Keep on fighting for it, and it's going to work. Yeah. Oh, those are excellent points. I mean, uh, dealing with projects on a daily basis, I would say, you know, even even I think those are good general statements. Yeah. Just talking about IoT, th this is excellent for just project management in general. How do you make sure to succeed? So uh, those are all excellent points. Um, so Creative Foam, obviously, we, we deal a lot with manufacturing. Uh, and, and we've talked about and, and started going down the road of, of what we kind of look at as smart manufacturing, really being able to do more with um, our shop floor. What do you think are, you know, the most important areas for IoT where that can, you know, ingrain itself within the shop floor? Because a lot of times people look at the shop floor and they, you know, it, it's difficult for them to correlate um, the latest and greatest kind of technology and being able to drive data and stuff when they see you know, big machines that are old and dirty and they see shop floor people that traditionally you wouldn't view as being um, technically savvy. What are the kinds of things with IoT that we might see exposed there that would help us move that forward? I, I, I don't have I don't have a magic answer, but let me tell you what I, what I think is what we call brownfield. So I think that's transition from 
let's say, uh, old machines in, into a factory. So we are doing a lot of these projects. We have made an announcement with Ford in the UK where we are helping them to move their factory in the UK to a new kind of smart factory. And of course, they're not going to change all the machines one day with the, uh, with the other. They're going right. to change all the employees <laughs> one day with the other. So it, it's a transition. So you need to find partners that help you to make your machine connected to start with and starting talking to each other, help that transition into adding new machines, and mm-hmm. then that transition would happen. I think. Uh, or, or well, if you if you uh, if you if you are super lucky and you're building a new factory from scratch, then you can start greenfield, right? You go straight in with the latest technology. But I think most of the projects have that transition that you were mentioning, and that is, uh, I think, again, rely on experts, uh, rely on your internal expert too. So don't. I, I think I've seen also project failing where they just give everything to a consultant. That comes in with a, but because they don't really know, we don't really know. It's, we tend to go to customers, and this is your project. We're going to help you to do it, but it's, it's, we we can't. We don't know about a car manufacturing factory, how it should work, what are the complexities. We have some experts in our team that maybe done other projects like that that we can bring in and give their advice. But it's your factory. You know how it works. You know who does well, what happens when. And we, we would help you and try to create the solution. But don't, so find expert, but don't give them too much. Like it's still right. your project. You need to drive it. That's my, my yeah, my view. That, that's another good, another good point that I think is really good to make, totally irrespective of IoT even, because it's true for everything. There, there are a lot of... Um, you could look at an organization, its use of technology, even its use of business process systems, whether it's HR or payroll, handing the keys to the castle for any one of those things is a recipe for disaster because nobody knows your business like you. Nobody knows the intricacies, uh, what makes you unique, what makes you valuable, what is the secret sauce that makes everything work. You hand it over to the very best consultant, they still aren't going to understand that at a level that's going to make you successful. So. I think another great point, certainly for IoT, but in general, really good. Uh, so no, let me add one thing, Tarek. I think also why I don't think is the right choice is because because of your people. If you you need to value your people who've been working on that machine for ages, they know that machine. If you involve them in this transition, they will transition themselves too. So that then you have also people that know where what happened, what has changed, and can. Can, can help to, to, to keep it going well. Instead, if you have someone coming in, doing the work and then leaving, then after you have, again, you need to call the consultants again to, to run your machine because you don't even know what to, how to deal with it. So, uh, so I think it's also important to keep your people involved, your experts involved in doing this transition together with, of course, you need drive, you need, a, you need someone to show you the way and you need top-down, you need top-down commitment. But then I think uh, I think in keeping your people involved is key. Also to um, I say refresh or reeducate uh, people's skills. And sure, not, you know, sure. I don't think you should. You know, I, I'm not looking. I don't think IoT should be used to kind of you know get rid of all the employees and put robots instead, right? So that's not uh, what we like as projects. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think the people are always your most valuable resource. So. When you approach it from the perspective of we're doing something to make your life better, we're going to improve things, and this is how, and you're an important part of it, you're going to be a lot more successful than if you just come in and say, we're doing this change, get used to it. That's never uh, a good way to approach it. So uh, all of these things with IoT, um, for me, it's very, I love talking about the connectivity and being able to integrate and getting data and analytics and all of that. But I'm also very frightened because as a, as a security professional, somebody that deals with security, uh, IoT is one of those areas where it gives me hesitation, uh, being able to make sure that we we have secure uh, connectivity and the data that's going through is data that we want to go through and it's only going places where we want. Uh, so I think it's a very hot topic with IoT. But what are the kinds of things, I mean, is there a magic way that you, know, you can solve 
this kind of uh, hesitancy with security for organization, or is it not? And it needs to be handled, um, you know, at a, at a different layer. How do how do organizations and even people, consumers that deal with IoT devices, how do we work with security and make sure that as we're utilizing this, that we're acting in a safe way? So security is is a key concern for everyone. Huh? I think uh, anyone who talks to you about IoT and take security lightly is not the right partner. So I think uh, in my view, it is, it is very important. We do a lot of effort to be as secure as possible. Anytime you, you know, probably better than I do, anytime you open a door, there is a risk. Of sure. course, you can see the door. So I think if you've done your homework that I was mentioning before in what is the real value of this project, then opening that door, taking limited risk, well, calculate the risk that, of course, need to be very well monitored. Sometimes worth it, sometimes it doesn't. So again, if you think of, um, we've done a project with a big, big car manufacturer for airbag deployment assistance. Mm-hmm. If you have a crash and the airbag deploys, we automatically call the ambulance and give them the location of the car. So yes, is, is it a risk of having that connectivity open? Yes. How many lives are you going to save by sending immediate message to the ambulance to go and, and help someone who had an airbag deployment crash? So it's usually a serious crash when the airbag pops out. So how many lives are you going to are you going to save? Right. So still, I think we we doing a great job on security. I think uh, again, touching wood, we 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 didn't have any particular bad. Uh, uh, experience, but I think with 120 million connections is, is is important for us. We keep on investing a lot of money uh, into security. But having said that, as I said, if you you start from what am I trying to achieve, and then look at the benefit and the risk, and you work with your chief security officer or CTO, whoever whoever you have, and calculate what is a reasonable amount of risk we can take. We tend to like when we own the end-to-end of the project. So we own the whole security stash from the device, the SIM card, the connectivity, all of the networks, and then the application at the end. So that's when we kind of like it, when we have full control of it. But we recognize we can't always have full control. So maybe we have only the network or only a piece of the hardware or the application. We customer decide how to play out. But at the end, the customer needs to be responsible for the end-to-end security of their product. And thanks to our customers, I have to say, we are implementing some very, very cool uh, advanced security features. Because, of course, as you can imagine, healthcare companies, car manufacturers, pushing us to, you know, really, they they have very high standard security. And they need all of their suppliers to be out there. So, unfortunately, stuff happens. But I think we we do our best to avoid uh, whatever we can. Yeah, I, I think you know we we deal with security. I mean, that's part of my day to day role is is analyzing, quantifying the risk. What is our risk appetite, and then how do we mitigate? Um, I think what you said is it's a great point. There's always going to be a risk. You you can't go into anything and say, well, we're going to mitigate the risk to zero. There's no element of risk. You're connecting to devices across an internet, even with great security and encryption, there's always a chance for something. So uh, I think it's important for organizations to really identify what is their risk appetite, like you said. And then again, partnering with someone who understands and doesn't just hand you something and say, here, go ahead and use it. They explain what are best practices for setting this up? How can you you know, ensure that you're using all of the, the proper frameworks and security protocols to, to uh, tighten those down? So yeah, I, it's it's sometimes overlooked because I think companies are used to having a turnkey solution. And so someone sells them something and they go and use it, but they never understood what they're getting into. And also I think, you know, uh, not changing doesn't mean you're not going to, it's going to be safer. So let me try. Right. I think I saw recently a report, I think, from Amazon on AWS, from private cloud to public cloud. Uh, I think, you know, there was this, idea that private cloud is more secure than the public cloud. 
and maybe it was through maybe a few years ago. I, I, I'm not a cloud person. That's not my, my sweet spot. But I've, I've seen it, a statistic that actually private cloud gets more hacked than the public cloud. Because, of course, on the public cloud, they invest so many billions of dollars into security that if you have to spend for your own rack, let's say, or whatever, your own you know, basement, it, won't, it would never be the same. So I think it's, we need to be open to change. Uh, and as you said, factor in that it's never 100% secure, uh, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we talked on a previous episode about um, different kinds of things with uh, virtual reality and things like that. We got into a little bit. We also spoke a little bit about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I think we're seeing a really interesting paradigm throughout the world in terms of there's a workforce with certain skills that um, are required to, to work in this new environment. Uh, there's also a gap with, uh, you know, incoming workforce not having the skills that were with the old machinery or old way of doing things. So companies are investing in new technologies. And so there's a really, it's a very interesting paradigm where you can see it happening. You see this aging workforce going away, the new one coming in, Technology is changing. Everything's kind of happening and happening at once. Um, so, how do you, how can you recommend organizations going through this transitionary period uh, for establishing a workforce for the future? What can they do to really proactively make sure that they're going around this the best and they're not going to get caught off guard in the future? Yeah, so it's a, it's a very difficult question. I think all companies are looking at it uh, and trying to do the best they can. I think. All sectors and companies will be different. Uh, of course, some newer companies are already very, let's say, digital native. Other needs to transition. I believe that more and more there are examples of companies that are able to do those kind of transition uh, so that they are getting there. Um, so we are also doing our own transition as Vodafone, as a telecom operator, transforming into what we, from a telco to a tech co. Okay. So offering just an, a SIM card and a network, offering you know unified communication, IoT solution, and platform payment platforms and so on, right? So we're also doing our own transition. Look, I think it is. If I think of it, it is. Uh, so you spoke about the people. That is, of course, very important. I think it starts, in my view, in my personal view, with with the super top. The, the mind, the head at the top as a mindset needs to say, okay, this is my priority now. My priority is to adapt to a new world. And then that should cascade down into uh, the processes and then into the people. I think, you know, instead, I think that I see sometimes this attitude of trying to change the people first when you still have processes. If, if you meet people that are into those, as again, the unicorns of the world, the human. So it's not that they are, yes, they're open-minded humans, smart, very smart, but they're still humans. But what they have is that they have agility, flexibility, way of working that is innovative, and that is what makes them super agile. Then you mentioned to, to and the other thing, they have access to technology, as you said. They have access to VR, AR. AI, you know, all these buzzwords that we use that are making cool, they really use it. So when they have to take a decision, it's often based on data and, and, and using maybe machine learning to define those data better and, and giving an answer that is better and quicker than maybe all um, the uh, different like, you know, skills, someone doing the math on a piece of paper going through a long process of authorization to get maybe, you know, the authorization to buy a pen. They have to go through, you know, 20 layers. I think what I'm really impressed by those companies is the, yeah, the more, I'm more impressed by the processes than the people itself. So, sure. so I think that is my, my, my view of it. Uh, you, you highlighted something there that I was just going to talk about, which is that um, in this new kind of world, I hate to always use the buzz terms, but you know, a new normal world where things are changing, there's remote work, there's um, a transitioning workforce. There are certainly critical skills for employers, but also employees to have. Um, so what are those attributes or skills that 
either side might need to have going forward. You had mentioned flexibility, I think, uh, being agile as well. What are the other uh, attributes that either side might need to have to be successful going forward in a post-COVID world? I think those two that you mentioned are the key one, right? You need to be flexible and agile. I think these are, are, are really, and I think uh, the other one I, I believe I'm a big fan of in my team, they know it very well, is curiosity. So people, you know, ask, you do an IoT project with whatever, I don't know, let's call it Coke, Coca-Cola. It's good. You want to know what is, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? So how can we help? And see, really be engaging it and, and, and loving it, almost being a big fan of the project. The more the project is successful, the more we are successful. So, and this starts with an attitude of being curious, asking the right question, listening carefully, and going into that kind of approach. On the other side is, I think, also not be afraid. And, you know, of the yeah, this story of fail fast and reward failure, it's not easy, but I think, you know, I think having this idea of not being afraid of change. Uh, careers are so long and many things happen along the career. You should not be afraid of trying to take some risks. And then, you know, your career is going to be up and downs and you're going to have to reform your skills. That's another thing, is a bit of humbleness. If you've been a senior guy doing this, the same thing over and over again, maybe that thing you were doing is now outdated. You need to maybe go back to study and go back to have a bit of humbleness and relearn. And, and so your career were up here, you maybe go down and then you grow up even higher to, from where you were before. So I think that is, uh, that is key. I'm also, I have to say that I'm not, I, I'm not a big fan. I, I don't believe people that say that you need only young people to do it. I still value a lot expertise and experience. So people sure. that do stuff, that have experience, but it's the attitude. You, if you've done a hundred times the same thing and you know it well, you shouldn't be afraid of doing it differently. You know, so that if you have that, then you are the best. You have the experience, but you're open to new ways of doing things. If not, if you don't have experience, then you need to find out. And instead, if you have experience, but you're not willing to change it in a world that is changing so rapidly, you're most likely going to be out or oh, out meaning you're, you're dancing uh, a different song than the others i don't know if you say that in english it's more more than <laughs> maybe oh yeah Dance you're dancing to a different tune song. yeah exactly yeah. no makes perfect sense uh and, and you know it's a, it's a really good point because oftentimes especially with manufacturing uh people are used to doing something a certain way and um you know i, I think it's it's critical that you have to be open to change. You have to be open to not just your environment changing, but then you changing as well. Because if you're the only variable in the equation that's not changing, but everything else is, you know, that's not a very good problem to have solved. So what do you think for people that are in that kind of environment where things are changing and they either know that they have to make some sort of an adjustment or they're ready to, are there resources for people? What do you think they need to to look at in terms of making that change? Um, and then is it ever too late for someone to pivot or to transition? And how do they go about doing that kind of a change? So this, the, it's, never, it's never too late, first of all. I don't, that's, that's an easy, it's an easy answer. Well, I, I, am a, I, like, uh, I, I tend to like to create myself some role models, right? So I tend to look at someone who did a change Someone that I that I trust, someone that I believe is smart, but is still a human with uh, their, I don't know, uh, financial issues or uh, marriage issues, or just a normal human, right? So not a superhero, um, but someone I know, and I tend to look at those people, maybe in my organization or even better, out of my organization, that they address this change, and they were maybe going to, they were very expert of. Look, I used to deal in the UK a lot with utility companies, and I can see that a lot. You have a lot of, you know, the, the average age in the utility world in Europe is pretty high, mm -hmm. and they tend to be static. But you see, you have a few of them that saw the potential of a new, of a change of career, or, you know, how can we do things differently? And so I, I tend to look at those people and I keep some of them that I maybe reach out once uh, once in a while when I'm, when I'm back in, in the UK for a beer. And how do you do that? And I think I, at the end, it's all a matter of mindset. 
and and you know because I think online you have if you want to learn something today you can find it online. Yes, you can pay or you know you can find something more expensive or you can find some free classes on YouTube or whatever it is. So if you really want to know something and you really want to change, I doubt you wouldn't find the way to do it. Uh, so that that's that's but I think you need to it needs to start with you willing to adapt to the new world and not becoming a blocking point to the change because you're afraid of the change getting your you outdated. Yeah. Well, what, one of the really good parts about this kind of changing world is that, at least from my perspective, when I've looked at hiring and looked at um, finding talent, I'm oftentimes not really interested in looking at very specific niche skill sets. You know, for example, I'm not interested in finding, if I want to find a security professional, I don't really care about finding the person that is only knows Cisco and has every Cisco certification and that's all they've ever worked with because the chances are that that's going to be relevant for me forever is very low. Even if I have Cisco today, the chances that I will never have anything else is very low. And for most organizations, especially smaller ones that are small to medium that are need to be nimble and agile with their teams, you don't have that luxury to just find a person who knows one thing. And so the good thing about this, this means that you don't have to go the traditional way of I'm going to go to school and study this one thing and I have to get a degree and then I'm going to get one certification and I'm going to go work. You can really say, I went to school, I learned how to solve problems and I can adapt my problem solving capabilities across an entire medium. I can become a cybersecurity professional and understand what to look for and manage risk and things like that, irrespective of what firewall vendor you're working with, what communications platform you have. I think Today, we're really focused on finding problem solvers, at least me and other colleagues I work with. We want to find people that know how to solve problems. And it's true for everything, not just cybersecurity, but analytics, business processes, all of those things. That's what we're looking for. And also, I think and this applies. The good, the good thing is that this applies to every industry, IoT, cybersecurity. And this, this is an opportunity for everyone. In the past, if you think of it, they went from machine A to machine B. If you knew only to use machine A, then you would have struggled with machine B. Now I think this across everything, things get connected and things get more digital and things get more, you know, you need cybersecurity to make sure you protect your things. All processes are changing. So if you have that attitude of willing to embrace change and, and look for opportunity in it, then I think this applies to everything, right? From utilities to car manufacture to factories to anything. So right. I think it's a great time to, to adapt. I don't know what the next step would be. They talk about, you know, robots and so on. So that's that's you know maybe further down the line. More a problem for my kids. <laughs> so I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's something I don't have to worry about. I'll let them play with their <laughs> their Legos and they can figure it out when they're ready. <laughs> um, we had touched on it before, but what you know, what is the social impact for IoT? What what's from a global perspective, organizations, when they look at that social importance, because it's, it's, it is something that we're paying more attention to, at least the companies that want to get top talent and want to be uh, respected throughout the industry. What are they trying to achieve with regards to social impact with IoT? Yeah, so let me, let me start by saying that I think, as, if, as we said before, the most important thing now is the ability to be agile, now to adapt. So if you want to, as a company, be able to adapt to change, you need to have the best talent out there. Because that's, that's where the, the mindset of jumping from one thing to the other comes from. And if you want to have that, those top talent, you need to put some purpose at your heart. And some purpose, I mean, like if you, if you, you need to come in with you know, a, a mission that, or products or whatever services you offer, that are embracing, uh, you know, global warming or diversity or you know all of this, all of these big issues that the world is facing. So I think this is the key. So if you you need to have that as a foundation of your company, and and that is key if you want to attract the right talent, they will enable you to be agile to succeed in the world, right? So it's all connected. So I think you, there's two reasons why companies are actually really addressing these topics. Let's say three reasons. First one is probably marketing, because it helps the shareholders. Right. Right? so whatever it is. 
The second one is the second one is I believe is uh, is because of 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 uh, a good heart of in general of people. So they really want to help. But the third one, the most important one in my view, is that if you don't do it, talent will not come to your company. And if talent don't come to your company, there's no way you're going to succeed. And there's no way you're going to do your your profits or dividends or whatever you're looking for. So I think it's almost like a selfish reason why you're doing it, to put these values at heart. Now, back to your question, we do kind of a lot. Um, we help, uh, as I said before, you know, just if you think of you know monitoring stuff, instead of going there, you monitor it from it's connected, so you don't have to drive there or fly there or anything. That's saving, of course, a lot of CO2 emission. We have a solution to monitor forest. Uh, in uh, across the globe, we do that of or, or floating uh, mm-hmm. for rivers and stuff. So there's a lot of things happening out there. Uh, even in the farming industry, we do a lot. We help. Um, we recently made an announcement with a, a company called Hello Tractor uh, okay. that's coming out of uh, of uh, MIT Solve. So it's like uh, the MIT Foundation. Uh, they are really smart. They do like a Uber for tractors. Oh wow. For Africa, so where you maybe can't afford a tractor, they can you can get a tractor for two hours. You do your field and then you give it back. And you, based on the fuel, you could show we help this company to track the tractor where it is, see how much fuel was used, if the person had a crash or anything happened to the tractor while it was used. And this, you know, it's all of these data then gets analyzed and they can drive good pricing for farmers in Africa to, to take care of their field. So, as I said, we do a lot of, of these initiatives. Uh, we also uh, contribute to our Vodafone Foundation. I'm a proud board member of the Vodafone US Foundation. So, uh, we do a lot of projects in that direction. So, if anybody of your listener has a, a an interesting project in that direction, we are happy to help uh, and put our uh, resources, uh, resources uh, at, uh, at uh, you know, if they need it. So that that that's for sure something we do we do very uh, yeah we like to do a lot. That's that that's fantastic to hear that uh, that's you know at the top of some of your priorities because I, th- I think at least for the the best companies I'll put it that way um, you have to realize that doing good you know for society for your communities for your customers your vendors it doesn't have to conflict with the bottom line. They can work together in tandem. They're not mutually exclusive events. You can still be profitable and do good at the same time. And I think everything you're articulating is an excellent example of why that can happen and why it should happen, really. Um, That's fantastic. So if um, we we did kind of mention Global View a little bit, We, we used it and I've used it. Why do you think that for organizations today, why is it important to have that global view uh, when you're looking at technology, specifically maybe with IoT, but in general? So why is that a critical attribute for a company to be successful? Well, I think with the globalization of products and platforms, anything you launch in the market, you need to think as if it's going to be a success, first of all. And if it's going to be a success, you want to go global with it. If you look at social networks, the platform out there are a, a few, most of them Americans, by the way. So, so but, but that's true. If you look at it, no, I don't know. If you look at you know, soft drinks, uh, most of them are the same. We drink the same soft drinks everywhere you go in the world. Uh, we use the same platforms wherever you go in the world. So anything that is very successful in a local area, most, li- most likely <clears throat> is going to become global. So in my right, view, right. if you have that kind of uh, approach, of having that global mindset when you design your product is key. To have that global mindset, let me say one thing, you need to have global mind, minds. Sure. An advice to, to your American listener, in my view, I think sometimes you need or we need to have people that are not American at the table when you launch and design something. Because again, if you want to launch something that would become global out there and you need to think about Europe or Africa or Asia, I think we need to, to make an effort there. Uh, yes, we, I, I think America has the best approach to launching products. And I, I love this country and this economy, by the way, and, and the approach, I think. But sometimes it's too America's focused. And, and a little bit and a little bit of having other points of view when launching something, I think would, would help. 
Yeah, I, I mean, even if you're only launching a product for the same country you're in, having a diverse workforce with outside experience, different perspectives, different thoughts, that's never going to hurt. You know, that's only going to add value. So to your point, I think having that sort of a diverse workforce and having, you know, inclusion throughout, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your thoughts, it's all relevant is is really important for attracting um, top talent, getting them in there, and then producing the best product and getting it out there. I think it's a, an excellent point to make for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, well, great. I think this has been a really, you know, it's been, it's it's IoT, but about everything. I mean, we've talked about some important things about um, the workforce, about learning, about all of these things that I think are super relevant. Um, and I want to thank you for sharing the time that uh, we've had today to chat. It's been really exciting for me to listen and partake in it. And I think for our listeners, they're going to love listening to all of this uh, content that we have. Uh, really interesting. So thank you so much, Ludo. <laughs> no, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me, Tarek, and and to your listener. I don't know. I, I hope uh, I hope it was uh, it was was in the direction of uh, of what your listener expect. Uh, it wasn't very technical, so I think we can have another one maybe further down the line uh, when we do more of a technical IoT. Sure. Can get some uh, some good uh, our CTO to go into the nitty gritty of uh, of the data, how it functions, and so on. So I don't know. But I think it's really good. I think in any case, these big uh, topics are the ones that really drive uh, the future show are the priority right now. Absolutely. I agree with you. So I appreciate that, Ludo. And, um, you know, tell us where we can find you, where we can find more information about Vodafone if you want to give us that information. Yeah, look, you can you, you can find everything about Vodafone online, uh, but if um, I can I can I can give you my, my email address if you want to. But I think <laughs> I think it's better. I, look, find me on LinkedIn. I think it's probably the best way to do that. You can find me on LinkedIn and then I'll make sure I put you in touch with the right people in the organization. Wherever you're based, we have teams uh, in Asia, in Europe, in Africa, in the US, so Latin America too. So feel free to reach out and put you in contact with the right people. Perfect. So we will uh, we'll add that to the show notes um, to go ahead and put your contact info and then certainly a link to Vodafone. Um, again, want to thank you, Ludo, for all this fantastic chat and um, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to give us a couple minutes to talk about this, something that you enjoy, something I enjoy. It's been very phenomenal. So thank you once again. No, thank you. Your podcast is great. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. Huh? Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Take care.